This is the Cinema for All podcast. The celebration of going to the cinema with Jack Chell and Abby Standish. Welcome back to the Cinema for All podcast. I'm Abby, the co-host, and we've got a special mini-sode for you here today. We spoke to director and writer Ekwe Masangi of Farewell Amour, her debut feature, which is now available on Mubi. She's a fantastic director and definitely somebody to keep watching, see what she does next. And let's hear a talk about the film and some of the films that she remembers watching growing up. Good, good. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for your time. And I, I really did enjoy the film. But I just want to talk a little bit about you as a filmmaker before before we get into the film, if that's OK. I just want to know a little bit about what attracted you to becoming a filmmaker. Um, you know, my story's a little awkward. Um, I, I mean, I grew up in a house of artists and a family of artists, so I knew that art would was somewhere, you know, in my future. Um, but I also grew up in Kenya um, in the 80s and 90s and at a time where there was no, there was no local programming. There was no local images that reflected me or anybody that I knew around me, the kinds of stories, the kind of color, the kind of just interesting people that I encountered on a daily basis were not reflected anywhere. We had all imported um, uh, programming. And so I was irritated by it (laughs) and I would complain bitterly. And eventually my dad just got really irritated with me complaining so much and was like, well, then make your own films. And I was sort of, I kind of took it on as a dare, like, fine, I will, Um, not knowing what I was talking about or what that would entail. Um, I knew that I wanted to write um, or, you know, that was something that had kind of been in there before. And so I kind of set off to be a filmmaker and Spike Lee was the one black filmmaker I'd ever heard of. So I did a bunch of research and he went to NYU. So I decided I'd go to NYU. Um, And so I showed up um, and unlike a lot of my classmates who came with, you know, because they loved cinema and they watched all these films that they felt so close and, reflected their lives. Like, I didn't have any of that. I had films that I absolutely hated and I wanted to make something different. Um, So it was a different path in terms of how I got into cinema. And then I will say the one thing that kept me in cinema, um, you know, because going to NYU is a wonderful school, but it's also very white. And at that point, um, just nobody could really understand the kinds of images and the kinds of stories that I was telling. You know, the people that I was talking about were not people that they'd ever seen before. And so um, it wasn't until my last year um, in college that I took a class at Africana Studies with Mantia Diawara um, about African cinema. And I got to learn about all these African filmmakers who had been working on the continent for decades and been making all this really important work that. I'd never seen growing up. And so that's sort of what solidified for me, you know, a place that I wanted to, you know, to put my energy and my talents. That's amazing. And uh, yeah, I can see how it was fueling from a different place than perhaps your classmates. Yeah. And so um, interesting to find that it was mainly imports when you were in Kenya as well. So how important that that you you went out and you became a filmmaker and how happy I'm sure so many people are that you that you are how does it feel that now you have films plural out there filling that horrible gap that's been that's been there for too long 
I mean, it's it's um, it feels wonderful. Is the short answer. Um, I'm so pleased. Uh, my father unfortunately did not live to see my films. He died many years ago, um, but you know he's definitely in inspiration for a lot of my storytelling and just, you know, his sense of humor and that kind of thing. And my mom and my brothers have been wonderful supports and, you know, a lot of my family really. Um, but, you know, as with a lot of independent filmmakers, it hasn't just been like the straight road to success. <laughs> you know, it's been a lot of years of struggling and, you know, trying to get projects off the ground and trying to get support and backing behind them and not being able to do so. And um, it's very difficult to sort of keep your confidence and keep your drive under those kinds of circumstances. And, um, and so I'm so pleased to be at a point now where some of my films are finally beginning to break out into the world where people actually get to see them. And it's not just like my class projects or whatever, my small little films um, that show at this or that film festival, where if you weren't at that film festival, you never get to see it. Um, this is definitely my broadest release thus far. Um, but it is, it's a little bittersweet. Um, it's, you know, there are points where I do feel a little frustrated that it's taken this long mm -hmm. to be able to, you know, get to this point. But I've, I've learned a lot and I've gained a lot of not only allies, but experience on the way. So I'm, I'm grateful for those things. Yeah, I, I think that's really meaningful and really generous for you to reflect in such an honest, honest way. And I love that your earrings say truth. Thank you. <laughs> To, to, to your um, genuine response there and I think that that makes a lot of sense for you to reflect on that journey because I think it's a journey that isn't really um, kind of talked about very very much yeah. Um, yeah. and you can see from your your credentials you've really worked at this and I think it's lovely that you carry your father and your family in your filmmaking you can see it that you center a lot of them around fathers or family yeah. And I think that's really beautiful that that's in your work. And Thank you. I, I do want to congratulate you for some recent accolades because I think there's never too much celebration for how hard you've worked to get there. So winner of the American Independent Award for Best Feature Film at Denver Film Festival, an award for excellence in directing at the Hampton Film Festival. And you've been nominated for others as well as the Grand Jury Prize at Sundance Film Festival, which are all incredible. And I, yeah. how, how do you feel, feel about that when you when you hear that kind of thing it's a little um surreal because mm. <laughs> i mean aside from the year that it's been so all of these sort of accolades and celebrations are happening in all of our absence in some way you know like it's like the party that you didn't go to <laughs> and you just hear that people were really excited about you at that party. Too bad you weren't there because, you know, we're not in a room feeling each other's energy like we normally would be. So it's certainly taking some adjusting to um, to take it, to have it sink in as opposed to just sort of it being a rumor out there in the streets that someone's really pleased with my work. Mm -hmm. um, and it's also, you know, festivals and communities that I've never really shown my work to. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's amazing to me, you know, because a lot of my time as a budding filmmaker um, 
the response that I got was that people didn't quite understand or they weren't ready or this wasn't quite the story or these characters seem a little awkward or off or, you know, we don't quite get it or maybe you want to make it a little bit more like this. And so, you know, I had kind of at one point, you know, certainly by the time I was in grad school, decided that I wasn't paying attention to the people who didn't quite under, who didn't get it. You know, you, you'll catch up at some point and I'm going to be over here talking to these other people. So it seems like they're catching up, <laughs> which is great, but it's also a bit of a surprise because like, oh, you're, you're here now. <laughs> I, I didn't know that you were so close behind me. Um, but, you know, I, I, it's, it's such an honor, of course. It's, it's, it's always such an honor to have people acknowledge um, the work that we all collectively do because we put in so much time and energy and love into the work that we do. So any kind of, we appreciate all the celebration. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And and that kind of, you, you've already touched upon it a little bit, but I wanted to ask you what felt like an inner accolade for you because I, I love that you're giving such importance to, to that and the actual making and that you were already kind of, believing in it despite you know what the what the um, homogenous response might have been and I just wondered if there's anything that feels really good what's your inner awards for what you've, mm. you've done and what you've experienced you know I mean I've worked in film festivals so I know to some degree how political um, awards or acknowledgements or even programming in a festival can be you know it really oftentimes has nothing to do with the talent. You know, there's way more talent than we have room for, mm -hmm. especially if you're talking about some of these bigger festivals like a Sundance or like a wherever, you know. Um, and so you learn kind of, as a working filmmaker, you learn not to take it personally when you don't get the acknowledgements that you think you deserve or that you should have gotten in. Why did they get it versus I get it? And, you know, so it's hard to it's hard to um, measure according to what festivals and institutions give you because there's so much more to it always. But for me, what's, um, you know, the most sort of treasured is the audience responses. Cause those aren't things that you, I mean, I'm not in a position to pay people to do, <laughs> to give me the responses that I'd love to hear. So, you know, that, that means it's voluntary and it just comes from, their reaction and how they feel. Um, and we were lucky enough to have six wonderful in-person screenings at Sundance, which was incredible and historic, you know, never to be forgotten. Um, and at each and every one of those screenings to hear people react and have them come up to us afterwards. And, you know, just the outpouring of emotion and just love and happiness, you know, joy to have seen a different kind of story or a representation that they hadn't seen before and things that I've always felt too, just like the excitement of seeing yourself represented in some way or some part of your story or some part of your culture that is just never, nobody ever seems to acknowledge. Um, to me, that's the most important part. And I'm really looking forward to experiencing more of that as we now release the film this week and next yeah definitely I think that will you know because it's going to movie it'll be a great way for lots of people to access it and I'm sure you'll see another outpouring and I'm so pleased that you've had that experience in the physical cinema space hearing that feedback which is yeah. 
right back to the start of the story of why you started to do it in the first place. So it's all come full circle, which exactly. is a big reward, I imagine. Um, brilliant. So we'll we'll talk a bit more about about the film now. So it, it was actually adapted from a short film that you made, wasn't it? Of, of, a, of a similar name. What was that journey like to 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 pull it into a feature and really spread it out? Yeah, uh, you know, it's more that I knew that we I wanted to do the feature. I'd spoken to my producing partner Haria Mohammed. We've worked together for a long time. We've been friends for even longer. And I told her this story that was, you know, inspired by some relatives of mine and, you know, it was just kind of taken by it. And she was like, all right, well, we should work on this. But we had also gotten um, a cash award for another short film that we had shot and it required us to make another short film. It was a very tiny award. And so we decided to use that cash award to make a short prequel as a proof of concept as a stepping stone um, to start talking about the feature. And so in preparation for the feature. So the short film is called Farewell Mel Amor. And it is the story of Walter. It's the moment before he goes to the airport. So the feature starts with him at the airport receiving his family. The short is right before he goes to the airport where he's preparing at home. And then his girlfriend comes to drop off her keys and to say the final goodbye. Um, and it was, it was a really wonderful process. I mean, <laughs> like I said, it was a very small budget. Um, I was able to get really incredible actors to work with us, really wonderful director of photography to just like to vision it. Um, we had this old apartment for, you know, from my then boyfriend's auntie's apartment. <laughs> um, <laughs> let us use which is so sweet of her because she definitely did not know what she was getting herself into <laughs> and bless her actually auntie passed away like I think a week before we were initially supposed to shoot and we had to push back a little bit and you know her sister was there and we were trying to shoot before they cleared everything out of the apartment um, but it was just such a beautiful like crispy old you know had been in the family for like years and years and had was just so lived in um, and just really, I really wanted that apartment. Um, and it was a wonderful experience. It was like a one day, eight hour shoot, you know, these two people in one location and, you know, they're saying this goodbye. And showing that film um, was actually a very different experience um, in terms of the kinds of rooms that I was able to get into. And there are people now who I'm meeting now who are like, you know, I saw your short, somebody sent that to me, um, which is, you know, a, a, it's always such a compliment. Um, and then, you know, and that really helped to spurn us into the feature and be able to give an example of what it is that we were talking, the story that we were talking about and the kind of emotion that we were trying to capture for the feature. Yeah, that's amazing that it's followed that, that journey and, and so clever, I think, to depict a different part in the story, it, even though it's a concept and confidence thing, that's really great. What what kind of drew this is a a universal story to so many people, in particular of, of people in New York. It's it's a city built on the the kind of amazing talent mm -hmm. that, that has traveled there. And what what was it that drew you to tell it in this way with with this family? I know you you just mentioned it's inspired a little bit by a, a, a relative, but I just wonder if you could just tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. Um... It's inspired by an aunt and uncle who were married in the mid-90s in Tanzania. 
And, you know, soon after they were married, my uncle got a student visa to come to the U.S. and came with every intention of bringing auntie. And at that point, their son was like five months old, um, right behind him. And, you know, to this day, have been caught in an endless cycle of visa applications and rejections and applications and rejections. And, you know, we've watched it as a family, different family members have different feelings <laughs> about sort of how things have, but they've stayed um, determined to, you know, to be together and hopeful that they're going to be reunited one day, but it has changed them. The separation and the anxiety and the struggle of, you know, living apart for that long has definitely changed them. <clears throat> Even though uncle has been, you know, in, he, calls every week and he sends money and they they built a house together and where aunties built the house and my cousins in college and all of these different things um and so I was inspired to write the what if story what if the visa is no longer the issue here's your visa show up <laughs> then what happens you know and the assumption that this must be the happiest day of your life all your problems must be solved now um, is that actually true? Um, or is this just the beginning of a different life, of a different chapter, of a different relationship, really? Because um, they it's not that they haven't had a relationship, they have. It's just been a different kind of relationship. Um, and now they're starting on this new journey, really, together. And so that was the imagination that I took on, the imagining that I took on for, for the feature. Yeah, I think that really brings so much interesting kind of questions alive. And it's so interesting that their hellos, uh, also goodbyes, they're kind of mourning other things or, you know, yeah. they're presented with this reality, which I think you communicate so beautifully, especially with your kind of three part character point of view narrative choice, which I love as a narrative choice. I always just think it's so good and it's good to show we we can all try to be painfully wanting the same thing but we're, we've all got our own perspectives and is is it because your you know your family members have different points of view of, of the of the situation with your relatives is that kind of also what inspired that to show the different sides a little bit a little bit yeah but I mean you know we all have different points of view right um and just again like I was saying this the assumption is that you must all be so happy. Your problems must all be solved. You must, this is exactly what you wanted, right? And yes, to some degree, this is exactly what they, we want to be together. Um, <laughs> but because of the crutches that we've all had to develop individually in order to get to this point, in order to stay hopeful until today, we're different people. And so therefore, our experience of this one event, and that's the thing that was most satisfying or sort of exciting to me was the idea that they're all experiencing this one joyful, victorious event. And yet they're each having such a unique experience of the one event and not wanting to dismiss anybody's experience for the sake of highlighting somebody else's because I think that they're also interesting. And, um, and different. Um, and so it was, a, I guess it was a little bit greedy maybe to be like, okay, I'm going to tell you all of their experiences <laughs> and not leave anybody out. Uh, I mean, at least of the three main, you know, we didn't leave them out. Um, and, you know, there's some places, of course, where we have to fill in the gaps because we only have so much time to, you know, make the movie in. But 
yeah, we're just wanting to really um, revel in in how how it looks from everyone's, you know, everyone is sitting around the table, but from your side of the table versus my side of the table, what, how are we seeing this plate of food, you know, if that were a metaphor? Yeah, I think that that's beautifully said. And I, I, I'm glad that you reveled in it. But I think that there's something that I think it gives this film even more human power, because it's, each audience member might, you know, identify with the the kind of dynamic of the different family members and it, it you know as cinemas there to do is increase our empathy and our understanding of one another and hopefully it's done that but also feeling like your point of view is also being considered and I think that's really amazing that you you did that and um, mm-hmm. so so good and makes it so heartbreaking because they all do really care for each other <laughs> definitely so yeah. put the audience through it which you should <laughs> um and what was it like to write that? Because you wrote this film and directed it. Let's let's definitely shout about that. And you just mentioned that you you were attracted to writing first, but it's quite um it's sparse in terms of the number of words, the dialogue being said, but the, that's all its power and, and and brilliance and its communication. What was it? Was it nice to try and get in the heads of all these different people, or was it intriguing? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, the getting in the heads part was actually a, quite a bit of fun um, to sort of like, you know, be in the different shoes and sort of sit at the different sides of the table and be like, ooh, now what is it like from this point? That part was fun. The part that was really difficult was putting that together um, in a way that made sense, in a way that sort of built the story, had some sort of arc. Um, and then the overlapping scenes, you know, so that we're not just seeing the same thing over and over again, but we're kind of moving the forward the story forward even if we are seeing the scene technically seeing the scene again um, and just keeping track of everything was just I mean <laughs> in the writing in the writing stage you know we had like graphs and charts and you know this happens on this day and but what's happening for Esther on that day and what's happening for Walter on that you know that part was a little crazy making um, and it's so funny because even when we were shooting it you know the every department had these like really detailed lists of like the clothes that they're wearing and what the apartment, you know, is, is the vase there? Is it not there yet? Or, you know, is this picture frame on the wall or not there, you know, on the wall, what day are we talking about? And, you know, their costumes and, you know, <laughs> and all of these, the evolution of like how everything happened. And then when we edited it, you know, it just, kind of all of that a little bit fell to the wayside and it wasn't quite as important as we thought it was (laughs) but at least we've done the work so you know we could we could we weren't at least we weren't sloppy about it and trying to fix it later um but yeah it was I mean it was you know because we were also writing really fast because we were pitching the project you know and telling potential investors who seemed very intrigued and excited about the project that we're going to have a script any minute now but we were not that close to finishing it it took about a year and a half before we actually did show it to anybody from the time that we started promising people the script and you know and wanting to really get it right because um you know, you only get one chance to have people read your script and tell you what to think. So it was, um, it was exciting. Um, it was exciting to be in the characters' roles. I had like playlists for each one of them 
So I would play their music while I was writing, you know, their words and sort of their actions. And that part was a lot of fun, but the technical parts were a challenge for sure. Yeah, a definite journey in, in continuity, <laughs> but it, it is um, seamless in the film. It, it's br- brilliant. And you, I think you've got into the heads of each character so well. There are just tiny moments where I feel that character's point of view so much. And it's definitely a gesture they would do. And one thing I'd pick out is when Walter sees the flyer for the dance competition and he puts a reminder in his phone that nearly like brought a tear to my eye of that tenderness that is extremely fatherly, but yeah. and I think that's also quite true to you know, to, to many fathers. And I just think, yeah, I just really just wanted to say I loved that moment so much. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and you talked about the music there. I love that you had a place for every every uh, character. And I think that kind of comes through in the film as well. You've got these, which is obviously telling us a story about them and the culture and the kind of time period they're coming from. And also the tempo, particularly of the music that um, Sylvia listens to, it, it, it kind of feels like a character or, or a signifier of things moving forward. This is a force that cannot be stopped. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Being our own person. And um, I just I just wondered if you could talk a bit about your musical choices. Oh, that was so much fun. Um, I mean, as a, you know, as I mentioned, I have been dancing to a number of Angolan dances for a while. And so the first pass was really just sort of my favorite hits, you know, the songs that I love the most and the, um, you know, musicians who I admire the most and just would love to work with them. And, you know, some of them responded, some of them didn't. Um, And, but we did actually for the most part get pretty much everybody that I really, really loved. Um, And, you know, we pitched to some, um, a number of, you know, the musicians, especially the ones that, um, that Sylvia listens to are not represented by, you know, big fancy labels. So it was a matter of stalking them on Instagram and using a lot of Google Translate to write them letters and, you know, and find someone who could tell them that we've written something. So they look in their DMs and (laughs) see if they would respond to us. And no, we're not a super rich company, even though we're in New York, we're independent filmmakers. We don't have an extreme budget, Um, but you know, we just love your music and we want to be able to use it. And this is the story and sort of pitching the story to them. Um, And, you know, and people came on and people came on as collaborators and they were really, really generous with us. Um, and it was so it was a lot of fun being able to like create this world for for each of the characters, you know, because Walter has his like Semba Kizomba music and um, which is sort of like a beautiful, sensual, romantic kind of music. And Sylvia has her sort of high energy Kuduro music. And then um, Esther has her church music, you know, and so finding church music that, you know, I also loved and that wouldn't be a strain to listen to <laughs> um, as well. And that we could get permission for, and you know, is it going to be a whole choir and that kind of thing was a lot of fun. And then also creating music for the score. Um, I had a wonderful music composer. Uh, his name is Osei Esed. Um, and so trying to create music that would help to balance, you know, what we already had um, in the pre-recorded music and also help to sort of heighten and speak to their, their feelings and their emotions in, you know, the particular scene. 
yeah I think that comes through really really well and and I bet it must be so great when you you get to kind of pick your favorites and they respond to you that's such a lovely vouch of confidence isn't it that's great absolutely and is there anything in particular that you want audiences to take away or 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 be intrigued about in the film in in particular well I mean I wrote this story at a time when there has been a lot of rhetoric um, in the news and the media about immigrants, um, not only here in the U.S., um, but even, you know, worldwide, you know, with Brexit and everything else um, regarding sort of, ooh, immigrants are here to take things and take our resources and rape our women and, you know, all of these horrible um, sort of things that have been put out about this faceless, nameless lump of people called immigrants. Um, And, you know, so just wanting to humanity add some humanity humanize who are these people um that they are people (laughs) and that they are people with wants and needs and loves and desires like everybody else um and that you know instead of just talking about all these like danger sort of news clips but to talk about well what is it that immigrants give up? You know, there's so much energy and focus spent on all the things that they're taking from us, but what is it that they give up in order to come to these countries in the first place? Um, I don't think anybody prefers to leave their homes and their, you know, families and everybody that they know and love to live in some place that's probably cold and uncomfortable and they're unwanted. And, you know, this isn't even their first language because it's more fun than, you know, being with your loved ones. Like that doesn't, that's not true. Um, and, you know, what what are the gifts that immigrants bring? So just really humanizing that experience and who those people are. Um, and in this case in particular, wanting to also talk about just black love, you know, that's just something that we don't get to see much of. Um, men like really, fighting to be with their families with their loves you know trying to do the right thing even though he's a flawed individual otherwise known as human um that you know that i could portray that character that i could portray a mid middle-aged african woman have you know in ecstasy and sort of (laughs) being pleasured is like so exciting for me so there's a lot of like little things that are very very important to me Um, But, you know, just wanting to have a human face for these characters and being able to show a family that's struggling to like fighting to be together is what I'd love people to take away from this. Yeah, that was beautifully told in your reply and beautifully told in in the film. Um, You should be so proud and and thank you for sharing sharing the film with us. Um, I I loved it and I'm sure many people will too. I think I hope you enjoyed that interview. We certainly loved speaking to Equa. She's amazing. And check out her film on Mubi. It's still available. Farewell Amore. What a fantastic director to have in our midst. If you're a film fan and you'd like to set up your own community cinema or film club after listening, go to cinemaforall.org.uk or get in touch and find out how to get started. We will help you! Don't forget to go check out some of the old episodes as well. We've got some things about programming in the dark, some more great interviews with directors and just a whole bunch of fun for you to enjoy. But for now, it's time to roll credits. Producer, Jay Platt. Logo designed by... Lydia Lipinski at Thoughts Make Things. 
hosted by Jack Chell and Abby Sandish, with thanks to Organic Publicity, Echo Masangi and Deborah Parker. The Cinema for All podcast is supported by the BFI, awarding funds from the National Lottery. Thank you!